house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. This is Robert Redford. Welcome to the 2022 Sundance Film Festival. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast with an opening keynote speech from Robert Redford. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died and we're here to perform the autopsy, except this bonus episode, we'll be recapping this year's Sundance Film Festival. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with everyone's festival favorite, Joe Reed. Yeah, I'm the festival favorite in that I have been placed against the other festival winners, and I am the ultimate winner of all. That's such an odd You immediately award me, and out. you were like, had they done this before? And I was like, no, it's stupid. It's, it's, they added a new award this year at Sundance where you can be, like, the Grand, all the audience, all the audience award winners, right? You're a yeah. you're a dramatic audience award winner. You're a documentary audience award winner. You're a international audience award winner, and then all of those winners are placed against each other, and there's like one grand champion <laughs> decided, and it's like, is this purely necessary? I'm not entirely sure that it is, but good for Navalny for being the ultimate winner of winners. I guess that's sort of the breakout kind, one of the breakout docs of the festival. Yeah, and the latest edition, like, it was added mid-festival. Yeah, and... it was secret, because it deals with Russia, so they wanted to keep the lid on it until, like, so, the day before it premieres. That was what I found so interesting and so kind of odd, was we got this word that there was going to be a secret new movie added to the festival, and... Of course, you'd speculate, you know, what, what, is this a big deal? Is this going to be, like, something kind of spectacular? And to find out that it was a documentary about Russia, I was like, cool, but also, that's a lot of hype for a doc about Russia. And I think, as you said, it's then it lends this air of sort of hush-hush secrecy. Are we trying to, like, sneak this documentary out without a whole lot of fanfare? Because there's international sort of uh putin uh, implications to it yeah Yeah. this was putin's opponent i believe and he was poisoned (laughs) and it's him investigating his own poisoning i immediately when i saw a tba bought a ticket for it and because it happened towards the end of the festival or the end of my festival watching because i had to go back to work um Uh, my brain was mashed potatoes and I just couldn't do it. So even though I paid for a ticket for it, didn't see the movie, unfortunately. But we have something good to look forward to. I guess it's through CNN, so they could possibly do a theatrical run, but it could also just be... um, It'll probably be like a CNN special at some point. I'm pretty sure there have been, you know, CNN docs that have had theatrical runs like... But it does feel like, just from what the filmmakers are saying, it feels like they feel an urgency to sort of get this movie out there. 
right. to the public. And so that's what makes me feel like it's just going to air on CNN just for the urgency of it and for the immediacy of it. Which... I haven't seen anything with a date, though. So No, no. Right. Correct. But again, because they were able to spring that on Sundance so quickly, I also feel like it could just get sprung very quickly. You know what I mean? Like, wouldn't surprise me if they were on like a Monday, be like, tune in on Friday kind of a thing. Do you know what I mean? So we'll see. That's Navalny, not Miss Congeniality, but festival favorite. Let's hear it, festival favorite. (laughs) Demented. Absolutely demented. Um, My only feeling about this new festival favorite thing, obviously, like, there's usually sponsors attached to these prizes. Like, there was also some weird stuff going down with the prizes and the, like, names of the prizes where it's like clearly they wanted to award x movie but didn't know what to award it for the and mercedes-benz giving... c montgomery burns award for excellence. yeah like mercedes-benz yeah. says you have to give out three prizes with their names attached etc but instead yeah. of giving it to like best cinematography they awarded things like <laughs> best documentary craft right to a documentary Right. What does that it, mean? It feels a lot like sort of National Board of Review or Independent Spirit Awards where it's like the Freedom of, Freedom of Expression Award. And it's like, that just kind of means that like you made a movie about an important subject, kind of, right? right. Like it just feels very kind of like squishy and, and you know, imprecise. But more power to, listen, I'm also of the mind that that kind of stuff seems weird and sounds weird, but also, if you're a film festival and you like a movie and you have no other place to honor it, but you feel like it's good enough to be honored, right. make up something. Honestly, well, and like the, we're talking about movies that definitely need the platform. That the one that won documentary craft is for the territory, which is coming out. Nat Geo picked it up, so that will definitely be there. But like uh, the, we're talking mostly about movies that definitely need. Yeah, the platform. Like, there's some movies that got like that either came to the festival with distribution already, or some of them got really good deals that we'll talk about. But like, by and large, anything you know is great for some of these. Well, movies. and it also when we talk about like what needs a platform, it is sort of relative. Whereas like even the most sort of well placed movies from this festival, whether you're going to end up on Hulu or you're going to end up on Netflix or you're going to end up on Apple. We are still in an environment where, like, everything that is that you feel like needs to be given a sort of brighter spotlight on it probably does. Because we're just not in a place where we know how to correctly... I mean, gatekeep is, is a negative word these days, but just, like, there is, there is a, a crisis out there of... So many movies on streaming platforms without mm-hmm. an ability to properly sort of give the audience a sense of like what is something they should be seeking out and something that, you know, maybe less so. And be, the the lack of that gatekeeping function can be seen as a positive because it just means that there is nothing being deprioritized. But it then leaves the audience with just kind of a sea of yeah. undifferentiated content that they then have to sort of like choose from and i feel like in this way if the more you know qualitative spotlight we can put on things that we think are good and by we i mean critics and 
people who program festivals and people who hand out awards to festivals and even just people who see stuff early and want to get word of mouth out. Like all of that, all of that stuff is to a greater good, whether it's, you know, something that got picked up by Searchlight or something that hasn't gotten picked up at all yet. Right. Do you know what I mean? So. Listeners, Joe and I once again did a decent job of not talking about the movies we've seen together too much so that we can preserve the conversation for you guys. But generally, I don't really know how uh, your festival experience was. Joe, did you enjoy your time with Sundance? So this was the first year I've ever done Sundance as a press uh, representative. Last year, I basically bought public tickets to about eight or nine movies, I feel like. You had press access, so you saw a ton more than I did. You've still seen a ton more than I did this year, but I feel like at least we had the same access uh, access to it, both being accredited press yeah. this year. Um, and we did see overlapping stuff, but there was also stuff that you saw that I didn't see, and, you know. Couple things, yeah. yeah. Very. I think it was, like, two movies that I saw that you didn't see, and, like, 12 movies that you saw that I didn't see. Which <laughs> I feels still like... didn't see as much as I did last year, but for whatever reason, and maybe it's because at that point in the pandemic, we were just hungry for anything. I ended sure. up being more exhausted this year, and I don't quite know why. I was really happy with my Sundance experience, I will say. Shout out to the folks who put on the festival. I thought their their app, while initially confusing to find because it is not named Sundance in any way, it's just called like online festival screener app or whatever. It's right. like named it's probably very used generic. by multiple festivals. So trying to find it, once I found it, um, was really a really smoothly handled and well done app. Everything, once you sort of are able to add your movies on the Sundance website, then it's all just sort of like right there for you. And when they're available to screen, you can just sort of screen them. I watched them all on my, you know, Roku TV and everything was lovely. Um, and I generally liked almost everything that I saw. Like I, this, again, people tend to kind of brush off positive Sundance reviews in the last five to ten years as this sort of, you know, festival fever. And, you know, for all of these years where people were maybe more effusive about Sundance movies in the moment, and then when they would get released months later, people would be like this, like me and Earl and the Dying Girl kind of a thing. But in general, I'm not really, I don't really want to subscribe to that. I really, you know, my... There was less of those type of movies. Like, I mean, we can get into well, the ones what that we, we think say might when... see some reaction like that. But, like, I think a lot of things... My experience was, like, yes, generally positive. I saw probably less duds than I saw last year. Like, outright bad movies. But, like, I do feel like a lot of what I saw, most of what I saw, hovered to that mid-range of, like, yeah, it was fine. Or, like... I... Yeah, or even more interesting, actually, there were a lot of movies that, like, maybe didn't work all the way, or maybe had some, like, sticking points, but were taking risks that were interesting, and interesting to, like, watch and unexpected. That was what, like, my big takeaway of the festival was. Even if I didn't like some movies, I could appreciate the risks that they were taking, which I don't think is rare for Sundance, or is common for Sundance. And I guess maybe... My kind of lack of 
Sundance experience comes into play here and maybe my expectations are a little skewed but like that's mostly what I was looking for I don't think I had a ton of movies where I'm just like this is going to be a big deal this year I don't think there I don't think there were very many movies like that I think there may be a couple and we'll talk about them but I'm more interested in do I see promise in a filmmaker do I see Mm -hmm. are there elements of a movie are there performances in a movie that I find interesting are there Movies that I am kind of, while I don't think they're going to be like a huge deal, there are a bunch of movies that I saw that are like I'm excited for when my friends and my sort of fellow, uh, you know, cinephiles is a dumb word, but you know what I mean. People who actually watch movies right, right, and right. don't just like watch two movies a year and then pretend that they know shit. Um, I'm excited for people to see some of these movies so I can talk to them about it. And I don't, I don't think I saw a lot of perfection, but. I was happy with almost everything that I saw. And even the stuff that I wasn't, I was just like, there's there's an element there that I like. There's something that's intriguing. I didn't feel like I was like grinding my gears trying to get through a whole lot of things. It also helped that like almost everything was uh, 100 minutes or, or less this yeah. year, which I thought yeah. was really good. There were a lot of movies where the titles were seemingly longer than the running time. There was a lot of like <laughs> long title, short movie kind of thing, which I uh, which I found kind of interesting. But I was happier with the overall output than I was even when I was sort of like going through the program. Where I was going through the program and I was just like, it's a lot of question marks in this for me. There weren't any, there weren't a whole lot of that kind of we still haven't returned to blockbuster Sundance status, right? Where you go to Sundance and you're just like, call me by your name is at Sundance. And everybody is like edge of their seat, super freaking excited. I don't think there was anything that had that kind of anticipation this year. And maybe with the recalibrated expectations like that, I was happy. Well, and the shifting landscape of like film going, streaming and the industry at large too. It's like, what does, especially from Sundance, like, the scale of movie that would create like blockbuster Sundance. Like it's hard to place those movies right now, which is why the festival is still kind of important because it can give a lot of these smaller scale or mid range movies, you know, the attention that they deserve in a, you know, (laughs) in a system that doesn't really foster them right now. Well, and what I liked was I liked that the sort of more anticipated movies were the ones where it was coming from a filmmaker with like who had a really really small previous movie that you may have seen and showed promise to you and you were excited like i think the most sort of anticipated filmmakers at the sundance were like Koganada or Cooper Rafe or Riley Stearns and it's just like they aren't big huge names in the indie scene yet i think the fact that they all had well received movies at this year's Sundance sort of help propel them forward. But I think it's, it's still within a pretty modest level of notoriety, even among indie films. And it helped that to me, helped it feel more like maybe what we want Sundance to be rather Mm -hmm. than, you know, something bigger, maybe bigger than what the platform. Right. Where it feels a little bit more about either, getting a filmmaker to another level or about discovery um, for filmmakers. And I definitely feel like there's a handful of filmmakers that I'm leaving this festival incredibly excited about whatever the next thing is that they'll do. 
So let's start then, because I feel like one of those one of those filmmakers for you is almost certainly uh, the director of Nanny, which won yes, Nikki Atujusu, who who won the U.S. Dramatic Grand Prize uh, at Friday Night's Awards, and had a really lovely reaction to it too. Like I loved it was was it Mariel Heller presenting that one or maybe no? Um, ah, God, who was the I can't remember. Marielle Heller presented, I believe, directing them. and screenwriting. Um, yeah. But anyway. Uh, yes. Uh, her response to winning was so uh, effusive and emotional and beautiful. But this was one of my two favorite movies in the U.S. dramatic competition. And the other one being Cha-Cha Real Smooth, which I think had zero um, uh, or like a basically 100% chance of winning the audience award for U.S. traumatic it's such competition. such a likable movie. So, like, I yeah. was rooting for Nanny to win this, A, because I like it the most, but, like, it's, it's, like, it, this movie winning that prize is probably going to help it get distribution. It doesn't have that yet, or at least that's Very been announced so. as of recording. Um, it follows a Senegalese woman who is a nanny to an affluent white couple, um, and she is trying to bring her son over to her as well while she's also taking care of this other couple's um child and meanwhile there's uh like african lore elements that come into it and there's folklore elements that kind of play into pieces of the movie being kind of like a horror movie there was a ton of movies that used horror elements if not outright horror movies at this sundance and like this was definitely the best of them i think it was also the most well-crafted movie i saw in the dramatic competition it's uh the lead actress anna diop is incredible in it um i'm i was i figured it would probably get a prize but i'm glad that it won the big prize yeah i had missed it in the initial run of things but after the awards were announced on friday night sundance made a bunch of the award winners available for purchase. And so I quickly snatched up a a pass to screen Nanny and also uh, Fire of Love, which we'll talk about soon. Um, So I'm looking forward to seeing it at some point this weekend, uh, given these raves. The thing about Nanny is I don't think it's a movie that benefits from when you're watching six other movies in that day, like I did. So it was also a movie that, like stuck in my mind and grew with me like as I was thinking about it and it's like when you see this many movies only a small handful of them are going to be the ones that you're really still processing right days after you watch them and this is one of them and this is one of the ones that stuck with me a lot of its imagery stuck with me and I think Nikki Atujusu is the real fucking deal I can't wait to see what she does next I hope it's not depressingly a Marvel movie because like <laughs> that's one thing about like getting these directors a platform and director discovery is like sometimes the way that the industry is working right now it feels yeah. like things like Sundance are just like farms for anonymous Marvel movies um but this is not that she's very That did feel like a through line yeah with a lot of like strong visual ideas a lot of strong narrative ideas um that's very exciting that did feel like a through line of anxiety in a lot of the reviews and reactions I was seeing from people who's just like, love this movie, hope they don't make a Marvel movie in the next five years. And it's just like, part of me feels like 
that kind of stuff is a little overblown. But also, I, I too would like to see independent filmmakers continue to make. I mean, you know, further independent films. I guess is the only mm-hmm. other option, and I feel like that there's an economic nature to that. Where I've seen some filmmakers on Twitter just being like, "Yeah, cool. We'd like to keep making, you know." good and interesting movies too, but we'd also like to be able to afford to keep continuing to be filmmakers. And it's just like, it is kind of annoying that that's the, that there is so little middle ground there between your option of continuing to sort of scrape by and beg for funding for your next project or take the payday of making Ant-Man three or something like that. And well, and it's it's also that like this seems like so much an uncompromised vision and you want her to be able to keep making movies that are that. Um, it's also hard because like I don't want to fully unpack these movies uh, that people may not be able to see for months. Some of them will be able to see like next month. Right. But like I don't for our listeners want to like spoil stuff. But like Nanny's also one of those movies that like I I don't. like festivals sometimes suck and this is why i was glad that it won this big prize because like your initial response to something may not work i specifically felt there may not be the end response you know i initially had a response to the ending of this movie in that there are two really contrasting emotional beats that at first i didn't know how i felt about the kind of like almost whiplash of those of these two things sure, happening sure, sure. Yeah. that I ultimately think the whole final stretch of that movie is doing something that like makes that work and is very intentional. I'm very excited to see it. I will say so. And again, that goes to show that even among, you know, even for somebody who is attending the festival attending in quotation marks, um, <laughs> the awards still help to clarify things that you may have, missed but still need to see and 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 i'm very grateful that my own you know scheduling not snafus but just sort of just like there there are decisions you make in trying to program a a schedule for yourself and i'm glad i'm going to be able to make up for that what uh what else should we talk about in terms of the big award winners? Let's talk about the audience award for U.S. Dramatic, which was the least surprising award win. Um, Cha Cha Real but Smooth. That's not being shady. Like when you see this no. movie, it makes complete sense. Yeah, I was surprised when, like, that you liked the, this movie. You saw this movie before I did, so I loved um, this movie. And, and I say this, that as someone who really did not like Shit House, his last movie, right? Which is, is also Coop- a movie where. You know, he's this young guy. I believe he's 24 now, Cooper Rafe. He He definitely is younger than he looks. I saw some people in their reactions to this movie being like, are we really supposed to buy that this guy's 22? And it's just like, he's not actually that much older than 22. Like, he really is quite young. Um, Cooper Rafe is who we're talking about, directed Shithouse, which was at, was it at a previous Sundance and like... It was the the first South By that was canceled and it won the big... Because um, it made it, it onto streaming the, at some point, prize. at some point in 2020, and I watched it, and I quite liked it. Like I was, that's why this movie was sort of very high up on my list of movies that I really needed to see at this year's Sundance because I was really, really into the sort of uh, talky, sort of like one, 
you know, one night getting to know somebody kind of a movie that uh, that Shithouse was. And I was really very charmed by it. And I was very similarly charmed by uh, Cha-Cha Real Smooth, which has a little bit more of a sort of dramatic form to it. It's not quite so mm-hmm. loosey-goosey. Um, he plays, uh, Cooper Rafe uh, writes and directs and stars. He plays a sort of young guy out of college, aimless, stop me if you've heard this one before, um, who finds <laughs> work as a uh, party starter, kind of, at like bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs uh, around town, and not really something... He wants to do, but he, I think it's one of those things where it's just like, you're just very charming. And, and it's sort of one of these like sort of odd talents of his that he can, he's also like, he relates pretty well to younger people. He has a, a significantly younger sibling and they have a really, uh, interesting and kind of cute relationship. And, and through this, he meets, the mother of one of his brother's classmates and she's played by Dakota Johnson, who is also one of the most sort of innately magnetic and charming people working in film today. And their relationship uh, takes some odd twists and turns. She's older than him in a way that, again, if you look at the two of them, I think you look at the two of them, you're just like, yeah, they're both young and charming and pretty. But then in the movie, it's just like, oh, right. There's a good, like, if if not like this massive age gap between them, and I don't want to get into age gap discourse because it's been the plague of film discourse for the last six months, but uh, experientially, she's a young mother. She had been uh, married and divorced, and now she's engaged to a new guy. So like there are gulfs of experience between them, and the movie kind of explores that uh, in its way. And it will remind yeah. you of a lot of movies that don't, do what cha-cha real smooth does very well it reminds you of a lot of movies that are phony where this one is not um it doesn't reinvent the wheel i just think it's it's doing what it's doing very well and very affectingly like it's also trucking in a genre that i am sort of weak in the knees for too so like i will admit that i will admit my own sort of uh affinity for this kind of a thing but also i think if you watch the two of these movies the thing that i most walked away from is just like cooper rafe really loves his mom and really loves his (laughs) siblings whoever they may be it's just like you watch these two movies and it's just like it's it is a movie that takes seriously the bonds of family and home and and i think a lot of movies like this sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater and sort of um focus on nothing but the romantic relationship that sort of springs up in this and his movies don't and i like it i like where it ends up i was talking to matt jacobs about this uh, sort of on text yesterday and talking about how uh, the movie plays with i think the audience's sympathies and ends up going to places where you're maybe rooting for something else, but you also sort of support where it goes without mm-hmm. like getting into spoilers and stuff like that. But um, there's a character or two that you think that the movie is going to handle in one yes. way that it handles yes. in another, and it's a better yep. movie for doing that. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So, so yeah, uh, kind of a perfect audience award winner in that way, where it's just like you're sort of weaponizing charm, but in a way that I find. Very uh, 
very good, very right. good and responsible. So yeah, I like the that. only non like heavy or dark movie in the U.S. dramatic competition. So it was like, yeah, basically always going to win the audience award. Yeah, there was some, there was some having these two. Although I will say, I saw a duel and you did not the riley stearns movie i had not be a hard pass from me on that movie it's one of two movies i didn't see in dramatic competition duel i didn't see because i didn't like his last movie and alice i didn't see because it comes out in a month you're talking about art of self-defense his previous movie yes i did not see that so i did not know whether i would like this or not it the premise of it feels very kind of dark and sort of like sci-fi dystopia where uh karen gillen plays this young woman who gets a terminal diagnosis and is offered the uh, opportunity to have a essentially a, a double a clone of her made to kind of continue on after she's gone uh, as a comfort to her family, to her uh, her boyfriend, so that they won't have to cope with the loss of her. And then uh, sometime thereafter discovers that she's in fact not dying. And so the rules in the world of this sort of sci-fi futuristic world are that they're, they cannot just continue with two of the same person. And so they must have a duel to uh, to essentially get rid of one of them. And which all sounds very, again, sort of like dark and dramatic and and potentially violent. And there are aspects of it, of that to it, but it's also really darkly funny. And I think Karen Gillan does a great job playing these characters. I think one of the things the movie does that's really interesting is it makes a lot of its human characters almost robotic in their affect, in their in their human affect, and then mostly just because they are sort of odd or kind of uh, living these sort of unexciting lives. So they sort of behave very kind of strangely. And it that then works into this thing where it's just like, you're not quite sure which of the two Karen Gillens is better equipped to sort of like live a more fulfilling life in the end. And, but it's also just like, it reminded me very, very much of a Yorgos Lanthimos movie or there were, you know, sort of shades of Alps in there and shades of the lobster in there. And I find it real, found it really, really watchable and very almost like fun at times. And again, I'm not sure how much I love the filmmaker. Riley Stearns was one of those people who was out on Twitter all week, sort of like, snapping back at critics who didn't love the movie movie. which is funny because i pretty much saw a more positive than not reaction to it and also it's just it's just annoying when filmmakers are out there policing the reaction to their own movie on twitter it just makes you look so lame please this was also after he this movie was one of the first movies to get a distribution deal at the festival so it's what do you want do you need every single person to love your movie? Like, do you really need IndieWire to yeah, love your movie like, that much? It's it getting makes you released. Seem so lame. Like, it makes it you seem so dumb. It got a multi-million dollar deal. Like, yeah, yeah. And some of these other movies can't say that yet. Like, so I was glad I saw the movie before I saw that stuff because it might have poisoned the well for me a little bit with him. But I did like the movie. So, you know, for whatever that's worth, even though he was being super annoying about it on Twitter. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Moving down the rest of these award winners. Yes. We both saw Palm Trees and Power Lines. Ugh. You'd maybe hinted that you really Ugh. didn't like it. I I thought it was 
good. I have some quibbles with it. I This is one of the ones that I respect the final risk that this movie takes, basically, without spoiling it. Yeah. Um, in that, like, I don't think many movies like this are willing to make the choice that this movie makes um, and, like, is trying to maybe get on the audience's side in a way that this movie isn't. Um, and I think that at least this movie thinks that that's the honest thing to do. So this movie is about sexual grooming. There is a young actress who plays a teenage girl. The actress is Lily McInerney making her debut. Um, she's playing opposite Jonathan Tucker, an older man who is uh, ingratiating himself to her. But like she has, like you can tell from the title, like it's we're sold on how basically empty her teenage life is. And like there's something about him that is appealing to her. And he's manipulating that, of course. Uh, Gretchen Mall also plays her mother. One of the things about this movie is, like, it is the type of very, like, seemingly low-budget movie that is naturalistic and unfolds in, like, you know, normal human conversation. These aren't teenagers who are, like, super witty. They just, you know yell at their mom when they're, you know, trying to be on their phone, whatever. But at the same time, I think from the very beginning of the movie, you know where it's going to go. And to me, that was a problem. Like, there's no real element of surprise here. And it's a harrowing movie. And it it, it gets pretty dark. But none of that was unexpected, is my holdout of the movie. Yeah, uh, Jamie Dack wrote and directed this movie based on her own short film from a few years ago. Won the it directing feels, prize. It feels, yes, won the directing prize, which I would have gone another way. Um, definitely feels like this is a movie that has seen the works of Eliza Hittman. I am I have not been as effusive about uh, films like um, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, and Beach Rats. the previous one. Beach rats, thank you. Um, as other people were, I feel like there is a way in which these movies can be so decidedly low key and, you know, this sort of washed out color palette and everything is kind of gray and nobody is really all that expressive and the kind of uh, suffocating hopelessness of it feels very much intentional and all of that can start to seem to me a little bit performative and a little bit um overly determined and i naturalism drag yeah a little bit and i i I get what you're saying that about this that with this movie And I watch a movie like this, and it was very hard to not keep thinking of a movie like Red Rocket, because that was, uh, you know, similar plot threads in both of them in terms of grooming and in terms of, you know, uh, the Jonathan Tucker character being, you know, sort of trying to pull this girl into some really, really bad shit. And I thought a movie like Red Rocket, to me, is more daring and more insidious, even though... Jonathan Tucker's character is on its on the surface much more 
threatening and scary and bad. I think Jonathan Tucker's quite good in the movie, by the way. Like, I don't yeah, want to I, sort of the performances it. in this movie, I think, are pretty strong. I, I walked away from this movie being like, it's yeah. certainly getting some prize, but I figured it would be for the two lead actors. Right. Um, the other thing about Red Rocket is... Red Rocket also has an allegorical level to it that this isn't even attempting. It's just trying right. straight naturalism. But I think even beyond the allegory of it, though, I think it's it's a more daring movie to try and seduce you in the audience along with the characters, right? Whereas a movie like Palm Trees and Power Lines, it's very easy to just look at this and be like, that guy's bad news. He's looking at her in the diner. He's sort of leering at her. This guy's bad news. Whereas Red Rocket makes you find this guy charming, makes you find this guy against your better nature, knowing that he's full of shit, knowing that he's, you know, a fuck up. And then there are moments in that movie where you're just like, fuck, like I'm enjoying myself watching this guy. And that to me is a more, makes the audience do more work, I think, by the end of that movie to sort of sort through your thoughts and feelings on that movie. Whereas I think Palm Trees and Power Lines gives it to you straight, gives it to you very matter-of-factly, and allows the audience to feel very, very secure in knowing that, like, I know what's right and wrong. I know what's going on here. I know this mm-hmm. guy's bad news and how. And and the movie's going to make you sort of churn your stomach watching what happens to this girl. Uh, it's a hard movie to watch, I thought. And and I will sometimes absolutely... Sometimes it's very hard to watch. Um, I, would, I will own up to the fact that that's a big, like, Sometimes I just don't want to be sort of inundated with a movie like that. And you walk away and you feel shitty. And then it's just like, okay, and what was, you know, what was the the artistry in that? And I mean, I guess I see the artistry in it. But I also think, you know, this movie doesn't fully work or doesn't work at the level that it could because, like, like characterization isn't that. Like, because it's rooted in this, like... It's trying to push for this naturalism that's unadorned and un, you know, unremarkable, like a true everyday person's lives. But like it also suffers on a specificity level. Like Gretchen Mall plays the girl's mother, and like there's nothing. There, there's just not much to that relationship. So it's like yeah. the the movie doesn't have it lacks a certain dramatic pull because. I, I, sorry to repeat myself, but just lack specificity. Yeah. Um, sort of bouncing away from the award winners for a second, because I'm sort of curious. We were talking earlier about filmmakers who we had some anticipation for because they, you know, we had liked previous things of theirs. And one of those people is uh, Phyllis Nagy, who uh, wrote oh the screenplay for uh, Carol among mm-hmm. other uh, accomplishments in her career. And so she was coming in with, uh, I believe, directorial debut, yes, uh, with Call Jane. I think uh, for a feature, she did uh, Mrs. Harris for HBO. For television, yes. yes which but... initially was supposed to be a theatrical, but then got moved to HBO. Yes. Yeah, and who who knows what life Call Jane is going to have, because it, as of now, does not have distribution. Right. So you saw this movie, I didn't. And I... and. Most people I saw in their reactions, this was not most people's favorite movie coming. This felt like one of the more... And I was probably less positive than everyone else that I saw. 
I kept so later in the festival seeing people being like, well, I caught up to call Jane and I actually kind of liked it. And I think that's because the very first reaction was negative And I still think I was more negative than that. Um, it There's also a documentary, uh, The Janes, that will be on HBO. That, that one I saw. US that documentary. I liked a lot. Yeah, yeah that that's a that's a solid documentary. Doesn't reinvent the wheel, but no. like very watchable. It'll be yes. on HBO this year. The Janes is one of those documentaries that benefits a lot from having a lot of really likable and engaging interviews. You know what I mean? Like they just right. Like, those they women interview... are also fucking rad. Yeah. Um, yes. It reminded me of Crip Camp in that way. Uh huh. Uh huh. That, Do you know what I mean? That's a good comparison because like the subjects that they're interviewing are like very open and like talk very like. You know, yeah. and they're like people you enjoy spending time with. Yes. Totally. But um, the Janes was a network of women um, before Roe v. Wade, largely white women who um, basically worked somewhat in tandem with the mob to get women access to abortion without, you know, to the point of not making judgment that like, well, we can't you know, say that this woman needs it more than this woman. Yeah. That type of thing. Yeah. Um, Call Jane is all, I would say almost entirely fictionalized and like not to be, you know, to have the lazy argument that like, well, why did you fictionalize it? But like in the fictionalization of this story is where all of the movie's like narrative problems lie. Yeah. There is a sequence early on in the movie that it's like a 10 minute scene or something where the lead character played by Elizabeth Banks um, has her abortion and it takes you through the sequence and that sequence is good. And like, there's just such swings in quality in this movie. Mm-hmm. There's a few scenes that I found kind of embarrassing. Mm. Um, Sigourney Weaver plays like the local network, the local Jane network leader, you know, who's organizing it. And she's very charming and it's wonderful to see Sigourney Weaver get like a juicy role like this. But it's the movie's very didactic, even though it thinks it's not. Um, There's like a whole thread of like Kate Mara as a neighbor. It's. It's the type of movie that, like, one person will be like, wait, do you vote Democrat? I thought you were a Republican. And it's... Oh, that's just that's just sounds cringy. It's, it's a crunchy movie. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. To me. Yeah. Well, all right, let's then switch to something that I know we both liked. And a movie that surprised me with how much I liked it because I was very much looking forward to seeing it. But I also had in the back of my mind that it was just like, I could just be in this for the star of this movie and this could very easily let me down. And that is good luck to you, Leo Grand, the Sophie Hyde uh, movie starring Emma Thompson as uh, a woman whose husband is dead and her children are sort of moved away. And she has decided that she's going to hire a uh, male escort for an evening and sort of things go from there. It is, as I said to you after I watched it, the most filmed during COVID movie I've ever seen in my whole life. Absolutely, and it is not particularly well shot. It is, like, wildly overlit and sometimes just, like, you want to watch it with sunglasses and it's kind of ugly to look at. But... But... um, (laughs) 
But right, it's among my favorites Same. that I saw. Same. It's 100%. sold to Searchlight. They're going to put it on Hulu. Um, and apparently they're going to try an awards run for uh, Emma Thompson. They should. She's, they absolutely should. She's phenomenal in this She's movie. great. I'm, I'm a little skeptical on if if it could work or not but it'll depend on what the rest of the field is i think my again a thing that i texted you this was one of the movies that like you and katie and i are on on our text thread i actually talked about a little bit my thing was i walked away it's just like well if you can put a campaign for glenn close and the wife like (laughs) this is so much better (laughs) than a better movie this is so much better performance um but we also, I think all of us, and then everybody I also talked to who had seen this movie, came out being like, Emma Thompson is phenomenal, and we know her, and we expect that of her. But Daryl McCormick, who plays uh, the titular Leo Grand in the movie, the, Star. Uh, the escort, is so goddamn magnetic. And it's not Star. just because he's one of the five most attractive people I've seen in a very long time, but he is. But it's also, he goes toe-to-toe with Emma Thompson for this entire uh-huh. movie and does not come out looking worse for wear for it. He really, his charisma fills up his half of the screen with her. And that is a difficult task to pull off. And he's so good. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's a wonderful, uh, like duet of a movie, but it's also a movie that I think is more and has more on its mind than people expect it to be. And that's part of the reason why yes. I think it was one of the festival breakouts too. Um, it's a movie that very much deals with sex shame and in very different ways for very different generations of people, very different, uh, experience. Um, and I don't think it's a surprising movie and it deepens as it goes. And that's, this is one of the ones that I like want to protect for people and like, uh, skip ahead, uh, uh, Two minutes, listeners, if you don't want to hear any spoilers and you haven't been spoiled on this movie. But I do want to talk about this a little bit. I realize, like, it's unavoidable that they talk about the full frontal scenes at the end of the movie. But I really wish people hadn't. Because it's incredibly effective that you don't actually see any explicit sex until you get to the end of this relationship arc in the movie and it's so cathartic and it's like for as much as we sort of neither one of us i don't think we're overly impressed by the visual uh sort of dynamics at play there is like that's definitely i think a victory on behalf of the filmmaker there in the structure of the movie. I think it Absolutely. is a very well-structured movie. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, highly recommended. When Do we know when this is coming out? I don't think the Searchlight Hulu deal set a date, but if they're doing an awards run, you have to imagine they'll probably do fall festivals for it, but we'll see. That'd be smart. That'd be smart. Um, I really, really uh, have... Uh, I'm hoping for good things for this because uh, I think this is a movie that deserves it. Another let's- one, just to... So sort I was of... going to say, let's loop back to the prize winners we've seen, because I feel like the remaining ones we can kind of talk through quickly or just like give a nod to some of them, maybe. Yeah, sure. Because I do want to talk about um, Emergency, which will be on Amazon in May. Um, this it's... was the first movie I watched in the festival, so it's it feels like it was, you know, months ago that I, I saw it. <laughs> I was really... I was charmed by this movie and I really respected this movie, even though I think the both of us found things to nitpick about it. Yes. Um, 
I don't know if I would have given it a prize. Uh, I think the I Waldo Saltz... I would have given the two lead actor. I was hoping they would win the acting prize. R.J. Seiler and um, Donald Elise Watkins. And also, I would I want, would shout out Sebastian Chacon, who plays the third of their little trio of friends, who I thought is not as important to the main thrust of the story, but I think is really, really uh, good in his supporting role as well, I would say. But yeah, R.J. Seiler, I was knocked out by. I had seen him in The Harder They Fall earlier this year, and that is a cast that, like, keeps on giving because also Danielle Deadweiler is in that cast and she was so goddamn good on station 11. Uh, so like that, the, the more I think that cast kind of keeps producing into the world, like the better, but um, yeah, I thought the acting in emergency, particularly among the leads was very good. This is a movie that presents as a kind of college madcap, uh, wants to be this is the thing that you and i had talked about a little bit was and what i love about the concept of the movie is this is a movie that wants to be a college sort of stoner comedy that cannot be because it's two leads are two young black men who at every turn are on one level or another very aware of the fact that there are ways in which what they are doing and what they are presented with is going to have the pitfall of a cop down the road who is going to encounter them and literally threaten their life. And so on a really like metatextual level that becomes as close to text as I think you can get, which mm-hmm. is this is what if super bad, but if super bad had two black leads these two guys would have their lives in danger by just sort of running through the events of the movie because of who they are. And that sounds like an intellectual exercise. And I think one of the victories of emergency and especially of the performances, the lead performances in emergency is they bring you in and sort of pull you away from the intellectualized intellectual exercise of it. Right. I would have preferred it won the ensemble prize over eight nine two, which did the um, movie where John Boyega plays a veteran who holds up a bank. Um, all of the actors in that movie are very good, but that movie felt very like David Ayer to me. When uh, like, yeah, it, in terms that's kind of, of why I didn't see it. I was like of the things I was prioritizing. That was kind of the vibe that I was getting from the premise of it. And I mean, like, movies like this used to play Sundance in like the 90s that were just more sure. like kind of thrillers, you know, sure. straightforward thrillers. But like, in terms of like having something deeper to say about, because it is a true yeah. story about, you know, the way veterans are treated when they return, yeah. especially by the system that said that they would take care of them. Yeah. It really isn't interested in talking about that um i also saw this movie blood that one uncompromising artistic vision from uh freedom of expression award yeah a word salad award um i saw people giving really harsh reviews of this movie i feel like it's the type of thing that if it was not in at Sundance and people just saw it on their their own it might be you know more what was it about well received uh it's a grieving woman moves to Japan um and it's it's 
it is kind of a wavelength movie. It reminded yeah. me of, I don't want to say Stephen Cohn because that's not it, but like it's operating kind of at that level, but like more in the soundscape of it and the just kind mm. of like ocean beneath the ice of this movie because it is somewhat uh-huh. remote, but like yeah. good for them for winning a prize. I see why it did. And you know, it probably would have been, yeah. uh, fared better you literally just, just got just. <laughs> before we got on mic finished yeah. fire of love which was the first breakout and the first sale of the festival yes. and it won the editing documentary prize tell me yes. about this movie because this i did not get to see uh yeah so this was one of the sort of early uh, festival favorites that i missed early and then Thank God I was able to uh, purchase a screening of it uh, today. I really, really enjoyed it. It is about a pair of married volcanologists, French, I believe, volcanologists, uh, in the 1960s and 70s and into the 80s, who, and you know, have this, like, wealth of footage of them exploring volcanoes. There is a ton of really mesmerizing, like, there's a reason why people sort of stare at lava flows for, you know, <laughs> hours on end. Because you could, because it's just, like, it's it's mesmerizing footage, but also they make for an incredibly sort of captivating pair. I uh, said there's a lot of, there is a not inconsiderable amount of The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou of this movie, and not just because they both have the same orange uh, little hats sort of little Jacques Cousteau hats uh, oh and and blue jackets as and and Katie and I were talking about this and we we're just like is this a Jacques Cousteau thing was this like a style of like French um you know scientists who had TV shows back in the day or whatever because they were also sort of you would see them show up on like TV shows and the husband there's also a not inconsiderable amount of man on wire to this where it's um you know approaching danger sort of heedlessly and being very, very close to volcanoes and talking about things like wanting to ride a canoe down a a river of lava and things like that. And, um, but even in the filmmaking, it felt very, and again, I am a big dum-dum, so I don't know what the chicken or the egg thing here is. And it's very possible (laughs) that Wes Anderson was borrowing from a Jacques Cousteau film style that also these people were borrowing from because there were things like, you know how in uh, Wes Anderson movies you'll see like a character sort of turn to face the camera from a very far distance or, and then it'll like, and the camera will either zoom to them or zoom away from them. And sometimes both there's like that uh, kind of effect. And again, I know Wes Anderson does homage and borrows from things all the time. So I'm not suggesting that the time-space continuum broke so that in the 1960s and 70s, these people making their own little, you know, homemade volcanologist videos were borrowing from decades in the future Wes Anderson. What I'm saying is it's just interesting the way these styles sort of like meld. You cannot watch this movie and not think about the life aquatic is what I'm saying. But anyway, it's... uh, Visually very compelling. It was purchased by Nat Geo, which has been on quite a good streak in terms of the Oscar uh, documentary category. They have two films on the shortlist this year with The Rescue and The First Wave. I would not be at all surprised if both of them got nominated. Um, they had The Cave a couple years ago. They won with Free Solo uh, in 2018. There would not surprise me at all if Fire of Love ends up being a documentary nominee 
next they year. They also are doing the Oscars. a theatrical run for it too. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be one of the big contenders for Doc next year. So, really glad I saw it. It's also just very it's very captivating and it's a 90 minute documentary and when it shows up it'll because it's Nat Geo that means it'll show up on Disney Plus at some point in this coming year and watch it when you can. If you can see it in a theater though and you are comfortable seeing things in a theater when it is in theaters um Highly recommended. I could very much see myself buying a ticket to see this on a big screen because of the visuals. And like, if, you know, catch me standing inches away from a movie screen, just sort of like watching lava flow around and (laughs) fugue out. Um, Yeah, I really liked it. I really did. Should I watch it stoned? Couldn't hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't hurt. Best documentary that I saw at the festival was Descendant. Mm. Um, which just got picked up by Netflix and it's um, in partnership with the Obama's production company, Higher Ground. Right. Um, it follows the last, um, the lineage of the last slave ship um, to America um, in this town outside of Mobile called Africatown. And in really, like, it, it was also the best documentary I saw because, like, a lot of the documentaries that, that I saw at this festival, and the same was true last year, are very, like, standard, straightforward documentary approach. And, like, this movie is shot beautifully well on top of having, like, really um, uh, profound narrative threads to, you know, lasting impacts within this community in terms of the structures of power and especially the structures of power for white people, white wealthy people. Um, definitely, I would not be surprised if that ends up being a documentary documentary uh, nominee a year from now, too. Well, Netflix also, speaking of, you know, companies that have been doing well in that category uh, recently, Netflix definitely has become a strong player in the documentary category at the Oscars. Well, as has um, Higher Ground as a right. production company because they right. were attached to, I believe, both Crip Camp and American Factory. Yes. Yep. Yep. Totally. Uh, I also saw this doc, Aftershock, about the just egregious, insane uh, differences or like the statistical differences in uh, black pre or post uh, birth deaths for women in the country um, definitely deserves conversation because uh, there's so much talk about all the movies that dealt with abortion but like I yeah. hope that this gets as much conversation in this festival for movies about uh, women's reproductive agency but it also probably had the most potent like testimonial and talking yeah. head interviews of anything that I saw uh, and then the last award winner that I want to talk about was also one of my favorites of the festival, won the acting prize for Teresa Sanchez in World Dramatic Competition. Uh, Dos Estaciones is so good, and I saw no people talking about it. It's one of these, like, kind of methodically paced, somewhat remote. It follows this woman who... Um, Teresa Sanchez plays that she has a tequila factory in her community and is kind of slowly and then rapidly being pushed out um, in terms of the resources that she needs um, to continue her business and yeah. like the uh, both her place in the community and like her place as an employer um, and it was just 
another one of those movies where I'm just like, I'm so excited to see what this filmmaker makes next. Um, the director of the movie is Juan Pablo Gonzalez. It's, I mean, like, I don't want to compare it to like Memoria, but like in terms of like pacing, it's very deliberate. And like when you, there's these like, uh, like sequences where you're going through the factory and it's almost like watching the production in the factory is mirroring the mounting tension of uh. her business being faded in this way that's like not fully abstract but like just really powerful filmmaking i sure, loved sure, sure. this movie fantastic well that goes on my list of things i should see as well excellent yeah hopefully someone picks it up it's a very good movie yeah. Uh, the rest of the movies will be out of uh, the award winner conversations. Uh, let's talk about After Yang. Yes, this was the movie that I think everybody kind of agreed was one of the best of the festival. It screened out of competition. Uh, it's going to be released by A24 in March. And we had best talked of about the festival this- for me. Yeah, we had talked briefly on our mailbag episode when we were talking about our Colin Farrell bet about how about this movie. <laughs> and you had mentioned that it had screened at Cannes, and because it didn't really make much of an impact when it did, I kind of jumped to the conclusion that it was not really any anything to write home about, because if it was, then people would have been talking about it, and I didn't really hear anybody talk about it. And this was... A very different situation at Sundance. I think everybody was. I would go so about... far as to say it was the only universally yeah loved movie that I saw discussed. That was that was not. It felt online, like everybody but... saw it and everybody loved it. Like it, it was yeah. widely seen and widely appreciated. Colin, it's Farrell... apparently a different cut than was in Cannes. Interesting. Well, but again. I haven't heard people who saw it in Cannes be like, "Well, yeah, now it's a lot better." Like I just haven't heard. I don't. Get at us if you saw it in Cannes, because I haven't heard a peep from anybody who did. So, um, futuristic movie from uh, director Kogan Nada, who uh, directed uh, Columbus a few years ago with John Cho and Haley Lee Richardson, a movie that a lot of people seem to really love on a deep level, and I didn't feel like I was connecting to it in a way Same. that a lot of other people did. And I kind of felt bad about that because I didn't not like it, but it's, it missed me a little bit. And this one didn't miss me. This one I got, it is a vibesy movie. Like you wouldn't believe, um, futuristic sci-fi. Again, this had a little bit of Lanthimos to it, but like a lot more heart, not to slight Yorgos Lanthimos. Yeah. It's I a love, very emotional like, movie. But it's but in its premise, this sort of kind of downbeat emo future premise where uh, you're Colin, selling it so well, like you liked it or not, like you didn't like it. Emo, I do not take emo future as a as a pejorative by any means. But like, I think that's I think if you're trying to encapsulate the movie, uh, I'm going to stand by that. Uh, Colin Farrell and uh, Jodie Turner Smith play a married couple who have an adopted Chinese daughter. And because it is the future, they were able to acquire, uh, purchase a uh, a sibling, a uh, android, essentially, sibling for... Artificial their... intelligent. Yes, who is, uh, who, uh, is Chinese and is sort of programmed with uh, the sort of experiential uh, history of... Uh, a Chinese sibling, and so to make their daughter feel more connected to her heritage and 
feel like she's sort of like not alone in this family. The, uh, the brother, the robot brother, I'm just going to say robot because it's easier to just say like, but whatever, um, malfunctions and they are faced with the prospect of having to get rid of it, which is obviously incredibly traumatic for them because he's been part of their family and he's been, you know, their daughter's, you know, beloved sibling for this whole time. And so Colin Farrell is going around trying to find a way to salvage uh, Yang, the uh, the the brother, and along the way, there's just a lot of meditation on things like history and experience. And Colin Farrell is a uh, a tea uh, brewer, manufacturer. Uh, he monologues about tea, and it's amazing. <laughs> there's a phenomenal scene with Colin Farrell and and Yang. And I wrote down uh, the actor's name who plays Yang because I thought he was so 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 good. Justin H. Min. Just fantastic uh, uh, as as Yang, and they have a scene where they talk about the experience of tea, how to taste it, what you can taste in it, the sort of the the properties of it, what what it calls to mind, and what you can and cannot like the limits of an artificial intelligence to be able to appreciate tea beyond the fact of its facts and and origins, right? Sounds very brainy, sounds very heady, but it is played in a really, really wonderful way. And there's a, so many scenes like that, so many sort of moments like that in the movie. Uh, Haley Lee Richardson is also in this movie playing somebody who has a connection to Yang. And uh, Sarita Chaudhary is in this movie dancing in a tracksuit. The um, opening credit sequence, if I see a better like three <laughs> minutes of cinema in my life in the rest of this year i will be shocked it is so good i just want to live in it I, i'm very much looking forward to seeing this movie again i wanted to uh, there was Hopefully part of me in the theater yes yeah absolutely there was part of me after i saw the movie that i almost wanted to immediately watch it again i watched it also uh because of the vagaries of my schedule i had to watch it in the morning uh i good don't morning movie i don't have uh, uh, access to blackout curtains and uh, ah. so it is a very it's a movie that sort of dabbles in uh, these dark palettes so I was dealing with significant glare I have like literally I hung blankets over my curtain rods in a lot of ways trying to combat this and it didn't quite do it for me so like I almost wanted to immediately watch it then again later that day at night but i had to there were other things i needed to watch so i couldn't so i'm looking forward to seeing this movie again in a sort of properly uh, lit environment um (laughs) it's a movie whose themes made me like unexpectedly emotional like i didn't expect this movie to impact me in the way that it did like it made me like question like what's it gonna be like to see and like I realize now as this comes out of my mouth, it's creepy. But if you see the movie, like, you'll understand. Like, what's it going to be like to look at the Instagram of someone who's been dead for 50 years? Yeah. Yes. Like, it's very much about the documenting of our digital lives. Right. And And the limits of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wonderful movie. Best movie I saw in the fest will undoubtedly be in, like, my 10 best list this year. Yeah. Did you watch Honk for Jesus Save Your Soul? I did. I'm really curious to hear what you thought about it because 
This was another movie, movie that grew in my estimation. I liked. I feel like I liked the component parts of this movie more than I liked this movie. I think I. I would have liked the comedy to have been funnier, and I would have liked the drama to have been a little bit more affecting. But I'm open to hearing more positive assessments of See, it because the comedy worked more for me than it seems to have worked for a lot of people. I yeah. find it interesting that in all of these, like horror or horror adjacent or glancing towards horror movies that have played this festival it's been so easy for people to talk about how a movie uses horror elements whereas like i don't think that this is a mockumentary movie but it uses mockumentary elements because it's set in a black megachurch with a disgraced pastor and his wife the first lady uh and it's it's almost like jarring and like intentionally so. I think this is a movie that like its biggest risk is losing the audience because yeah. it goes in and out yeah. of the actual documentary footage and this couple living their lives. And it's incredibly different. And it's a movie all about front-facing appearances, especially within church communities. Um, and uh, Regina Hall gets this this huge monologue towards the end of it while she's in mime face and it it becomes this very absurd thing that's all about um crumbling the faker facades that are being put up yeah and i think it's really strong i i would not categorize it as a mockumentary but that it uses mockumentary elements yeah um to do something that's i think interesting and like the more that i wrapped my head around what this movie was doing after i watched it i respected it even more but I, I was never one of those people like at the first that was like this wasn't as much. like i saw a lot of people being like i expected this to be funnier but i think maybe the festival did not a great job at selling this movie for what it is. Well, you know? I think this is a tough movie to sell along those lines because I think the tones do wander, I think, uh, purposefully so in a lot of ways. I do feel like the ways in which it moves in and out of its own mockumentary conceit feel... I think it's a weakness of the movie. I feel like it 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 doesn't ever feel like it makes it makes the statement that it wants to make by doing that. I don't feel like, I feel like it's not as impactful for moving in and out of that structure as it could be. I also, in concept, the idea that this, that Regina Hall plays the first lady of a Southern megachurch whose husband has been beset by scandal and uh, rumors of infidelity and all this sort of stuff, and she's being filmed by a documentary film crew, and yet somehow this is not about Giselle Bryant from The Real Housewives of Potomac, <laughs> is this, wild I, to I've me. had whole Real Housewives conversations uh, about this movie. Because but this, Regina Hall is not doing Giselle from The Real Housewives of Potomac. Like, this is, I don't think that's what this movie is trying to do, and yet, biographically, it fits her so well that it is 
shocking to me that it is seemingly just a coincidence because it is a wild coincidence. So I will just say that. Um, Regina Hall is quite good. I, I feel like, I feel like the movies reach sometimes exceeds its grasp when it does things like the monologue when she's in the mime face. Like I just, you can see it's going for something huge and it's coming up, I think, just a little bit short. No fault of Regina Hall, so I think it's quite good. I kind of felt bad that both of her performances in movies it's, that Sundance that I saw this year, both of them had that same sense of uh, reach exceeding its grasp and sort of failing her in a little bit of ways. I also thought you're though, also it, speaking of Master, right? I do want to just Amazon like I want to throw it out just real quickly. Sterling K. Brown, I think, is phenomenal in Hawk for Jesus, and oh yes, absolutely, oh, and is God. really like especially in the dramatic stuff also like comes through with some of the comedy, but like really uh, is very arresting as we're sort of learning more and more about him uh, as the pastor. But we're yes, avoiding spoilers. <laughs> let's, let's talk about uh, master while we're on the subject, because that was the other Regina Hall movie. This was the horror movie set on a Northeastern, very prestigious college campus where she plays, um, the newly uh, newly installed master, I guess, is the position uh, mm-hmm. uh, at the school. Um, movie de- deals very intensely with one of the subjects that I thought that was kind of uh, existed a lot in uh, one of the more, you know, Sundance will have these common themes. One of them was abortion this year. Uh, uh, another one was the black experience on college campuses this year. And so it deals very much with race. Uh, the main character is a young freshman uh, a, a black woman who is also dealing with incredible, horrifying uh, racism around her, but also then it is depicted through this uh, ghost of a uh, Salem witch trials era uh, spirit who is coming for her essentially. So it's horror and it's also social commentary and it almost gets there to me. And then it really kind of spectacularly falls apart in the end in a twist that I'm not going to reveal. This twist, man, I think it, I respect this movie for trying to do this, uh, twist with a straight face. It really does. I don't think it will be received in that way in any form. Um, and I almost feel like it, the whole thing would have felt like a more complete experience if it had been a worse movie and if it really just gone all in on the absurdity of its final twist and really like, gone completely off of the rails then i feel like at least people would have been so pissed at it but maybe had you know a less than obvious thing to like say about its twist what i kind of respected in the end of this movie is like it ultimately dispenses almost entirely with the horror elements at the end of the movie in a way that it's just like it's just using those horror elements and maybe ultimately at the end of the day isn't exactly a horror movie and like it's final scene in that way final shots yeah it's final scene and it's final shots i really really respected quite a bit and liked but i think by that point it really had lost me as a complete entity it ultimately to me is a movie that just i respect its swings but i don't think it works i don't think it comes together it doesn't another movie you saw that i did not see was living yes bill nye as a uh 
As Girl, Bill Nye is here. <laughs> and I am living. living. Yeah. Living. Um, Thank you, Sugar Cane. Yes, for, uh, forever and always. He plays a, a bureaucrat, this very sort of like uh, buttoned up bureaucrat in England in... Oh, God, what is even the time period? What is time, uh, I ask you? <laughs> Our brains are mashed potatoes after watching too many movies. Back Seriously. To back. Well, the big thing about this movie is that it is a uh, remake, more or less, of uh, an Akira Kurosawa, Kurosawa movie, uh, Ikiru, um, adapted by the novelist and screenwriter Kazuo Ishiguro, who uh, did The Remains of the Day and Never Let Me Go, Never Let Me Go, uh, previously covered by us in this uh but the kurosawa movie was itself inspired by a tolstoy novella so there's just like layers on layers on layers and so anyway bill nye plays a bureaucrat who uh, gets informed that he has a terminal diagnosis and uh his son and his daughter-in-law kind of hate him and are kind of shitty to him so he ultimately um never tells them that he's dying and instead just kind of quietly goes about the town uh, being very sort of like, you know, sort of observing the life around him. He has a uh, moment of connection with a younger woman and you think that's going to go to a certain place and it doesn't really, it's very much more quiet and stoic than that. It is a phenomenal performance by Bill Nye, but I think when we're talking about, I was tempted to talk about this in the same vein as the Emma Thompson uh, performance in that I could see them building a campaign. This movie got picked up by Sony Pictures Classics and Mm -hmm. in a very kind of like it's a very SPC movie. And you could see them trying to build a campaign for Bill Nye out of it. And he's certainly worthy of it, but it is so restrained. His performance is so uh, intentionally stoic and restrained and locked up and so much of the impact of the movie is about looking at him from afar looking at him from the outside and it would i would be really really surprised if that ended up working as an awards push just because it's so remote and the movie's already going to be dealing with the challenge of being so small that I don't see the hook beyond just Bill Nye is rad and he's so good in this. Um, mm. But I was very glad I saw it. It was, again, one of the first things that I saw in the festival. And because it's so low-key, it was hard for me to uh, – it didn't re- doesn't jump out in my mind by the end of the festival because I've seen so many other things. But You're the least effusive uh, person I've heard talk about it. I'm glad people are effusive. It deserves people to be effusive about it. It's, I have nothing bad to say about it. Like, there's no, don't, do not, do not take, you know, whatever muted uh, response this is as me having any, in any way a problem with it. It's just very low key. And I have heard from people who had seen the Kurosawa movie to just be like, it's not a patch on the Kurosawa movie. And like, oh, that's good. No shade. Like, falling short of the level of Akira Kurosawa is is you know no shame to be had i would say but anyway yeah less reserved restrained and uh mild is resurrection (laughs) this was the friend i'm just gonna ask you bluntly 
what is this movie about? <laughs> Do you know what the point of this movie is? I don't think I've talked to a single person who has seen it that could tell you what the 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 narrative purpose of that movie is. That being said, I had a great time. I will tell you what Resurrection's about. It's about how shit's breaking out in Albany. Like it's it's <laughs> some some weird shits going on in Albany, New York, my friends. Um wild to me that the most midnight madnessy movie of the festival didn't play in the midnight program. I've been saying it's my new favorite F cinema score movie. I mean, I would have absolutely lived to see this movie literally at midnight with a big crowd. I feel like it's so it it has it that wild. It has a feel of old Cronenberg to it, right? Uh-huh. Like very old intentionally. Cronenberg mixed with like whatever drugs Inland Empire is on. <laughs> the, at least on a performance level, because Rebecca Hall is Oh my. Rebecca Hall unfettered. Rules. She is yep. out of control, so good in this movie. It's one of those movies where the main character is the most unreliable of unreliable narrators, and you can never trust her perceptions of what's going on, and yet what's happening around her is the most insanity delivered in the most matter-of-fact terms. So it's really hard for the audience to discount anything because it is there's it's not like we're seeing her in like weird, like weird visuals and like trippy headspace and whatnot it's just very straightforward tim roth shows up and says your baby is in my stomach and (laughs) and and it goes on from there like i don't i don't even consider that a spoiler because that is sort of the setup of the movie and then it's yeah that's it's early on i mean tim roth is on one in this movie and i am here for it he's so creepy for as much as Rebecca Hall is giving the standout performance in that movie, I think Tim Roth was wilding out in this. This movie just, like, it is on one in a way that I don't think we've had a movie that's on one during the pandemic. Yeah. And, like, that's why I think so many people are reacting so strongly to it. But at the same time, they're like, I can't tell you what is happening or what this movie is about. This is one of those movies where I was saying, I can't wait for my friends to see this movie and to talk about this movie afterwards. It doesn't have the you're going to run around your living room screaming aspect that, like, Malignant has. But it's not far off in a lot of ways in terms of its boldness. And it's audacity. Yeah. Uh, IFC and Shudder bought it. So I presume that means IFC is doing theatrical and it'll eventually be on Shudder. I think that's a good fit. I think that's a good fit for it. If, if it had been bought by uh, a br- like a, another distributor, I don't think I would be wrong about that F Cinema score thing. It yeah. is that type of wild movie. Yeah. Um, and that is not... It, Y'all know that if I say a movie's an F-Cinema score movie, you know that's not a dig against the movie. It is not. It is very much not. Yeah. Less Wild Than I Expected was uh, You Won't Be Alone. Yeah. Which I know has its fans and knows have people who hated it more than I do. I'm a little bit more middle of the road. It is a movie that has grown on me. Could not tell you who this movie is for. (laughs) But it's... It's set in like rural Macedonia. I couldn't tell you the era. But I think it's like, like let's 18th just safely century. Say, I think it's yeah, like, like three hundred years ago. Yeah. A witch who can like 
take form in other people's bodies or like when she kills them, she can like use their bodies, um, goes through several different, several different people, including Numi Rapace, who's on the poster, but really isn't in the movie that much. That guy's, um, and Alice Englert also, uh, Jane Campion's yes, daughter. Alice, Alice Englert's Englert. in the movie more. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, it's mostly this kind of very liberally, uh, ripping off, Terrence Malick style, as many people have noted, uh, very dreamy, is, like, dreamy obvious. voiceover narration. Yeah, yeah, all it's pretty much just narration for the most part. Um, kind of reflecting on the passage of time and life and death and, and the vagaries and, of of existing as a as a mortal kind of a thing. It's not as specific in the like, for lack of a better word. Sorry to not sound smart. Uh, weirdness that like a Robert Eggers does like sure. that feels less precise or intentional um, as kind of whatever its narrative targets are. And I think that's one of my holdouts for this movie that it's just like, it feels kind of, um, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't have a, a goal. It's, but at the same time, it's not a vibes movie. You know, oh, it's just I, kind I, of, I would, it's trying to have a wide reach but i don't think it knows all of the things it wants to grab right i took it as a vibesy movie i think i liked it a a bit more than you did i for a movie that uh features so many scenes of a witch trying to eat a baby um (laughs) it's really quite lovely actually and um it took me a while to figure out what was going on because there's a witch, and the witch is it's very blasé about it. A child, and so at some point, then there's two witches, and one is sort of um, shows up often to uh, kind of taunt the other witch, and um, but I I did feel like it was effectively delicate in that way and effectively uh i i don't always have patience for movies like this that are very kind of meditative i think you're right to bring up malik but i ended up liking this better than a lot of malik movies that i've seen um and i don't know whether it was because it was from such a decidedly sort of female perspective. Uh, there are, there's a moment where the witch inhabits the body of a man and, but it is mostly uh, in the persona of, of women and sort of older women and younger women and sort of what there's a lot of dealing with things like women as property of their husband mm-hmm. and what these kind of marriage w- rituals boil down to when you are giving of yourself to this man to be sort of his property for the rest of your life and the ways in which the traditions of the women in these villages sort of served to perpetuate this and there's a lot of you know probably feminist theory i think you could probably see sort of like painted onto this movie that is more effective in some places than others but in general, I was happy to sort of ride the wave of this movie. And I think 
it'll probably be an eye of the beholder kind of a movie. I think you're right necessarily in like, who's going to see this movie. But like, I think you can say that probably about a lot of independent movies. And sometimes you're just sort of like, you're taking the creative leap of the filmmaker. And I think this is one of those movies that I think it's worth taking that creative leap. It's going to strike. It kind of strikes me now as the type of movie that, because it's opening from focus in April, um, that's going to have, probably a hard time when it opens but towards the end of the year people being like you know it was a really good yeah, movie i could see that blah, blah blah yeah um it it just like it it has kind of that level of it's not imposing but it's also like strange yeah uh, when i finished the movie i was like well i'll probably never watch that again and now now i want to be able to revisit it with a little bit more space yeah for it because it's it has actually like it's stuck with me. It's stuck with me in ways that some of the other things I didn't watch had. Uh, you saw a love song with Dale Dickey, and I didn't, even though I am quite a fan of Dale Dickey uh, as a character actress extraordinaire. She gets to be the lead in this movie, which is always very exciting when a character actress gets to be a lead in a movie. How did you like it? What's it about? I mean, if you're a Dale Dickey fan, you're going to be even more of a Dale Dickey fan. Wes Studi is also in it, and you would be even more of a Wes Studi fan if you are we're already... Called, we're called Deep Dickies, the, the, the Dale Dickey fans. <laughs> um, this movie uh, premiered on the first day of the festival, and I feel like because it played Sundance, maybe got a slightly unfair response to what the movie is and what it's doing. It is a, like, slightly quirky movie. It's 80 minutes long. It feels like this beautiful little romance novella where um, uh, Dale Dickey is playing a grieving widow who... uh, has uh, who basically goes on like a camping tour she has a little mobile home where she goes to a campsite uh and invites a high school beau out to meet her played by west studi um and the site itself has a significance to both of them um and it's just kind of like it's a small movie about getting back on the horse and seeing if you are able to love again and they are both absolutely wonderful, and I think if it had maybe played somewhere else, people wouldn't be so dismissive of it as, like, twee or, you know... I mean, I'm not saying it was one of the best things that I saw, but, like, in terms of just, like, the human dynamic of it and the yeah. human emotion in it and Dale Dickey's performance, it's lovely. Uh, less than lovely... I would say, and I think you agree with me on this, is uh, one of the more talked about movies at the festival, which was Lena Dunham's Sharp Stick. The grand return of Lena Dunham to uh, provoking us. I don't know. Us as a culture, I guess. (laughs) Um, Written and directed by Lena Dunham. It is about a a young woman named Sarah Jo, who's played by Christine Froseth. And she is sort of unspecifically, I don't, they never really address necessarily if she's neuroatypical or just kind of. There's been some controversy about it, but the producers came out and said that she is not intended to be neurodivergent. Which I, yeah, like I think the movie. You know, you can watch the movie and, and that's supported. There is a considerable effort, I would I would say, uh, 
to have the movie kind of moves heaven and earth to take a character who is explicitly said to be 26 years old, but she had a hysterectomy at age 17. So like developmentally, she's arrested on a sexual level. And so when she embarks on a sexual relationship with uh, John Bernthal's character, who is the uh, husband of the family, who she's essentially a nanny for, um, there is, to me, this movie kind of moves heaven and earth to have its cake and eat it too, in that it presents a sexual relationship that feels transgressive and wrong and bad, and you feel gross for watching it play out. And yet, it's then also at the same time being like, she's 26, everything is fine, we can do this, like, look at us. And it, it's, it's in that very typically Lena Dunham way of setting up something that is going to, that sort of walks up to the line of being actually daring, but then sort of writes itself its own get-out-of-jail-free card, and that it's just going to make you have really annoying sort of arguments about it. And <laughs> I really, really thought this movie was really unpleasant to watch. I'm I'm not as negative on you. I'm kind of, I'm pretty mixed on this movie because I do think that there's things that are working in its favor, um, including some of the performances, <laughs> notably Scott Speedman, who is on one even more than Rebecca Hall he's is fun. in Resurrection. He's playing he's a porn wonderful. star. Yeah. He's wonderful and has no right to be, considering what he's playing. He's playing basically a porn star who is covered in tattoos, and it's all POV porn. Yeah. So it's like the camera is always facing him. It's very OnlyFans. Like, yeah. yeah. It's yeah, yeah. very like aggressive and like, rough he's, sex but he's saying very like caring kind tender things he's halfway and, between a porn star and a tiktok star right because it's a lot of just sort of like yeah, people follow his yeah. life and as this movie's relationship that. to technology is like somewhat hedging its bets on like how yeah. technology might develop like but i do think that it's not a movie that fully works it's incredibly lopsided in terms of like what is the structure of this movie and, like, some of the character relationships aren't fully developed. I think this What is Taylor uh, Page doing thread... in this movie? What she is out to see. She is literally just... This movie has no narrative support for her in this movie whatsoever. I know. And I it's love It's such Taylor a bummer. And... I do, too. But, like, what is she to do in this movie? But that's true for almost every character, including the one Lena Dunham yeah. herself plays. Yeah. Um, and that's that's some of my problems. That being said, like, I do think there's a level of this movie that is, even though Lena Dunham has said other, you know, reference points for the type of movie she was trying to make, I think it somewhat gestures at John Waters in a way that I don't see anyone else doing that, like, I want to see people doing um i got a little bit more maybe todd salons out of it and i don't necessarily a lot of say that complimentarily uh but i could see where it's, other people would find that complimentary sweet to be todd salons though i don't find it sweet it's too i i think At least it's not genuinely sweet, sweet and ultimately uh, it's trying to be a tender movie uh, I, and that is never anything that's true about todd salons I would 
I think this movie does ultimately have a lot of affection for all of its characters. Um, but I think a lot of the like vagueness and its imprecision is part of the reason why it's pissing people off. And that's part of the reason why, you know, people are like, is this character supposed to be neurodivergent or not? And, you know, I think if I thought that Lena Dunham's character, that Lena Dunham had affection for her characters, I would have a very different view of, I think I would be a lot more, indulgent of lena dunham than i am i think if i can find that that kindness and generosity in somebody i will allow you a lot of leeway and i don't feel that in almost any of her stuff maybe certain parts of girls but even in that even even there there was i don't know i think that's a big part of my reticence with lena dunham but I think we are. It just... hasn't been picked up yet, so who yeah. knows if people will be able to keep talking about this movie. I'm sure it'll show up somewhere because yeah. it's generated enough conversation that, like, yeah. it's probably safe to say people will at least watch it, even if they hate watch it. So someone would probably pick it up for that reason. Yeah. Already picked up, coming to from Searchlight and Hulu. Uh, in March. Yes. Which, like, I'd already booked it, and I was like, I wouldn't have booked this movie if I'd known, um, because they announced it like after people were buying tickets. Same I booked Master. it anyway because everybody was talking about it, and I didn't want to not know what people were talking about, and I was glad uh, that I did. We're talking about Fresh from uh, Midnight, the debut of, from the Midnight section, the debut of Mimi Cave. Um, this is a movie that I could see being discoursed to death, and I really hope it's not, because I genuinely feel like Fresh was one of the more fun movies I watched at the festival, which is I think it's fun, but I don't think, think it's good. I don't like, think I it's Like, I had a good bad. time, but I rolled my eyes a lot. I... I don't necessarily think you're wrong. I don't think it's a bad movie. I think there are things that it gets away with on on the road to its final 15 minutes, which was the most I wish I could have seen this in a movie theater with a lot of people. 15 minutes of of any movie that I saw at the festival. I really feel like I ended up forgiving a lot of maybe my nitpicks with what had come before because... I was so into the release of and sort of the really sort of like crowd pleasing final 15 of that movie where. Yeah. Oh, the, boy. it, it is a very fun. fun, but like I also have a, a fun sequence of the movie and I'm like 100% with you there. But I do also think it's where a lot of the it could have really stuck the landing for me, but like. I felt like a lot of its problems became more pronounced in that, like, it has to underline every single one of the things that it's doing in a way that I'm like, you got to trust the audience more than this. Is that, because, there was like, one moment in particular. Cool stuff yeah, it, less cool it, it, or it, less smart. It it states in words uh, its its theses in a couple yes. places. I know, I know exactly I know it, what line you're talking about. I do too. About, I do it's too. Annoying. It's annoying because otherwise, everything that's happening in that moment is fantastic. And it is the Chad Michaels responding to Roxy Andrews. We get we it, get, girl. Yeah. We get it. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. And yet, um, Sebastian Stan's a lot of fun. Sebastian Stan's <laughs> great in this movie. Like, absolutely. There's a way to play that kind of character that's sort of like fuckboy who is a lot 
less harmless is is not the harmless kind of fuckboy that you maybe hope he is and he rides that line really well in this movie i also really liked daisy edgar jones as the lead uh in the movie um as someone who has not watched normal people, nor this was nor my introduction I. to her yeah same same here um and i was I was happy um, with it. I think you're right. I don't think I think you're right about the way that it underlines its themes in a way that is unnecessary. Um again, I just It's a better movie if it doesn't do yeah, that. I think you're right. Um I think you're right. Well, and I also think like because we're dancing around what the subject matter of this movie oh, is. Oh, right. Yeah, we should um, say cuz the, they're going to have to well, say in the well, trailer. But like it, how it's are you, part of the fun of the movie. How do you sell the movie is. otherwise? My issue with Huh? How do you sell the movie while keeping that a secret? I would say it's like a satire, a horror satire on like Tinder. But how would you do a like trailer for this movie without revealing dating that? experience? How would you how would you actually do a trailer for this movie without I, revealing that? There uh I would say if there's going to be a trailer for this movie, the like it's going to tell you like what genre of horror or what like genre of gore you're going to be dealing with Uh uh-huh but it's not going to give you the full um picture of what's going on because i think one of the other weaknesses of the movie and like maybe you could also uh, somebody would probably sell this as a strength but to me it felt like it wasn't as original as it wants to be is that like what's actually going on feels parsed like 25% from one horror movie 25% from perhaps a horror TV show 25% from something and then 25% from something else it feels like pieced together like kind of robbing other movies all right Uh, the one shot I definitely think will be in the movie is that meatball yes (laughs) God, because that that like give that gestures towards what the movie yeah, is, yeah, but like the dialogue yeah. in that scene doesn't really say yes. what the full picture of the movie is. Yeah, it's a good point, and it's going to be on Hulu, so maybe there won't really be any more than a thirty second trailer for this movie. Yeah, so. that's a good point. All right, we're going to argue about this next one. I think we are. Yeah, I think we are. Tell tell the listeners. Uh, first movie I watched in the festival was Jesse Eisenberg's When You Finish Saving the World, based, I guess, loosely on his audiobook, um, starring Julianne Moore and one of the It kids who I always think is just a bad actor, and I know yeah, we, we disagree Yeah, we deeply there. disagree on this. Yeah. Finn Wolfhard. I think he's great in this. I, I think, think he's great he's in horrible. almost everything that I've seen, but I think he's great in this. I think he's fantastic in this. I think that there there are active weaknesses in this script, and him being cast in that role only highlighted them. I feel like even if you don't like him, though, I would feel like that would play into a strength of this, because... He's the most unlikable teen. Yeah. <laughs> I guess... I Maybe I take that back, though, because I think part of the reason why I like this movie is because the movie ends up being more generous towards him than you would expect it to be, because it right. it does lay out how insufferable he is. And this movie does not have an incredibly um, generous outlook on TikTok teens, which I can subscribe to that. And Julianne Moore's character cannot stand TikTok teens in a way that I can relate to um 
I love a movie about a mom who really can't stand her kid and then sort of comes to a journey of sort of opening herself up to um, maybe flaws in her own character that, you know, opening herself up to her kid could end up uh, remedying. She plays a woman who uh, manages a shelter. I feel like she's in a very sort of like a leadership position Uh at the shelter, uh, helping uh, battered women and women who uh, have nowhere else to turn and uh, can stay there. And she thinks of herself as a very progressive and selfless and, uh, and aware and active, actively sort of contributing to the good of the world and is really, really annoyed that her son is not interested in this kind of thing and just wants to play his dumb little songs on TikTok for his disturbingly uh, large and lucrative following where he's like, he's always talking about how much money he's making off of this platform. Yeah, but and- he's like, I made $20. He's not making that much money. I don't know if the movie talks about him like getting a X number of subscriptions and all this sort of stuff. And like, he's definitely way more popular than you and the audience feel like he deserves to be. And yes. I think you feel her character's frustration at that. And other like Alicia Bow plays um, a classmate of his who he has a huge crush on, who is very much in like more plugged into social activism and comes by that very honestly. And he, decides he wants to get into social activism as a way to uh, get closer to her in a way that feels at the same time insidious and also like stupidly innocent in a way where he's just so kind of hapless that it's hard to see it as threatening, but also it's just like, you're such a dumbass. And so this girl uh, also finds him kind of, repulsive along the uh, along those lines and i think there's a lot of squid in the whale to this what a lot of people sort of were drawing those comparisons because it's jesse eisenberg and so uh i think you can the kind of causticness at the movies yes core. yes i it worked for me i don't know i don't know what else to say it really worked for me i can see it working for somebody for me it, like a lot of it felt a little empty i kept thinking about like, this feels like something Nicole Holof Center could do, but, like, <laughs> once that thought entered my mind, it kind of revealed a lot of the movies, def- what I saw as, like, deficiencies. It didn't, these don't really feel like real people. I think it's most successful as a movie about people who, in one way, are trying to do the right thing, but when they can't keep themselves out of it, they make situations worse. Right. Um, but I don't really think it's about that beyond gesturing toward it. Um, but I think it's also about people who, like, Julianne Moore feels like she can make everything better by sticking her nose into everything and by sort of imposing her will upon other people. And Finn Wolfhard, as her son, thinks he can make everything better if he can just monetize you know monetize it and sort of make something go viral make something popular popular like 
popularity yeah. equals the good in this. And you and you can see both of those approaches are in their own ways sort of flawed and and diametrically opposed to one another and they really seem mother and son to just like fundamentally hate each other and and I think almost surprisingly by the end you see that oh all along this was a movie about them sort of finding a way to meet in the middle and it's because they're dealing with their own shit so separate from each other. And I think the movie kind of cleverly threads in these things of these moments where they each kind of quietly and maybe from a sideways angle kind of express their regret that they used to be closer. And that to me, again, really worked for me. Yeah. Uh, well, A24 is releasing this, but it doesn't have a date yet. Yeah. So yeah. that'll be out soon. And listeners can decide how they feel yeah. about it themselves. Another movie that we disagree on in that you loathed it and I thought it was mostly okay uh, is Am I Okay? Which was oh boy. Uh, Tig Notaro and uh, Stephanie Allen. Stephanie Allen, thank you, uh, directed this movie about uh, Dakota Johnson plays a uh, young woman who kind of comes into her own realization that she's gay. She has a very uh, Francis and Sophie kind of a relationship with her best friend, Francis being Francis. You know, I, I call upon the greatness of Francis Holland, talk about this movie, which <laughs> does, summon. which does this movie no favors by comparison, I will say, but that's, that was the relationship that it felt the most like to me, this sort of codependent uh, uh, best friendship between the two of them. You're, I think meant to think that Dakota Johnson's character uh, is, if not explicitly in love with Jane, Jane played by Sonoya Mizuno, um, like dependent on her in a way that uh, is not super healthy. Um, It meanders and it kind of sort of dances around having a point. I don't know if it ever ends up Super having a point, which I think is a big weakness of it, but I mostly just found it to be watchable in its averageness. You found it to be reprehensible. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't say reprehensible. Like, this movie's not, like, doing damage to the world. I just think it's horrendous. Um, It, okay. You know that it brings me no joy to uh, shit on anything that is trying to be friendship cinema. I do you know how much friendship cinema. cinema means to me. Yeah. But like I do think without being like an outright jerk, I think this is th- maybe three movies competing as one. Sure. Because like I would love to see a movie about a woman who comes out in her mid late 20s. I would love to see a movie about codependent friend. I would love to see a movie about friend who is like the center of my life is moving halfway across the globe what do i do but like none of those ever become what the movie is about and in the end like the way you were describing how it's like you know how it resolves like it just kind of becomes a movie about nothing and none of these relationships are satisfying nothing anyone goes through is satisfying but all that being said Everyone in this movie is an alien. This is not a movie set on the planet Earth. It's set on the planet 
Los Angeles. It is, um, it's not funny. Like, a lot of the jokes are bad. And there's also just some absurdity. Like, uh, Tsunoya Mizuno takes um, the Dakota Johnson to a lesbian bar for her first time. And, like... One person tries to talk to Dakota Johnson. And, of course, the scene is more about how, like, she's just uncomfortable talking to people. But, like, I have a hard time believing that if Dakota Johnson shows up to a lesbian bar, that pandemonium wouldn't ensue. <laughs> That's fair. Like, And it, and she's... It, it's so, like... Yeah. Bent on making Dakota Johnson this, like, sad sack. Which, like, I do think that there I could be an interesting movie about, like, a character like this who... It's less about her coming out and more about her comfort, be it her comfort or discomfort, rather, being in the presence of other people. Because there's a certain level of that that, like, I strongly yeah. relate to. There's, it's, and, like, it's a movie the about social awkwardness of it. Yeah, coming but, into your yourself, your sort of, you know, right, the person right. that you I've, are. Uh, like, I would find that highly relatable. I do also want to give us both a chance because obviously Dakota Johnson's one of the most naturally like likable and compelling performers we have going on now. And it was to me, the movie could only sink so far when she was on screen because she's right. But a movie with her in it is never less than watchable, but let's the both of us get a chance to show our love for Molly Gordon, who plays their sort of Ah. third friend who is supposedly who's playing this sort of, uh, she works with Jane. She's supposed to be kind of this like annoying uh, disaster of a girl. And she plays that, I think, really, really well. And it just made me realize, because she was also recently in Shiva Baby, one of my favorite movies of last year, playing a very different character and playing a very different character from both of those when she was in Booksmart a couple years ago. Um, I would die for her. I think she's so good. <laughs> I can't wait to see what she's in next. I'm officially on the Molly Gordon train and... Absolutely. Yeah. Very much into her. So, yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about? I feel like we got a lot in for there. A while. We're, what else? We're here for two hours, guys. So, we're, we are the exhaustive Sundance recap. I think that's, that's mostly everything. The one movie uh, that we both saw that we didn't really say much about, but I don't know if there's a ton to say about, is Watcher, Micah Monroe in the horror film Watcher, which. Uh, yeah. I thought was okay, and I thought definitely comes to some moments by the end of it, but it is a lot of, uh, it takes a lot of sort of quietness to get there. Not a lot of movie for 90 minutes. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's fair. Um, the guy who... It's well made, but like, there's not a lot going on in that movie. I, I am a person who responds very strongly to a uh, person in the distance seems to be looking at you. Like, that hits me on a real elemental level, so I am maybe an easier sell for this movie than most other things. But uh, No, I like that, too. It's just, you know. Yeah. This movie felt very familiar. You saw, I did want to quickly, I know we're going on two hours here. Uh, you saw Piggy, which I didn't see, but I kind of wanted to. Uh, thoughts and feelings <sighs> on that? That, similar to Fresh, I feel like pulls in a lot of other, I feel like, oh, this is a piece from this movie, a piece from that movie, a piece from this movie, but all of the movies were better movies. Um, 
Piggy, Piggy is uh, the type of horror that I ultimately like. Kind of miss in that, like, it almost feels like it could be um, like the French New Extremity movies, like High Tension. Um, sure. But it doesn't quite get there. The performance at the center is fantastic. Um, she plays a sort of bullied teenage girl who her bullies end up getting uh, abducted. Yes. Yes. That's the premise. Um, there's a there's a good sequence um, in the movie early on during the abduction, and then it kind of becomes, I don't want to say cat and mouse throughout, but like she, she has a connection basically to that captor because her bullies are, you know, uh, being uh, abducted by this guy. Yeah. And, like, he also seems to have some type of, like, sexual energy towards her as well. Um, the actress is Laura Galan, by the way, and she's fantastic. Um, best thing about the movie. Um, but again, this also felt like it was kind of stretching itself ov- out over its, you know, 90 yeah. minutes. The ending is when it really becomes, like, what you signed up for when you sign up for this movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it reminded me of uh, a lot of people have drawn the comparison to Catherine Brela's um, Amasur. I also thought a lot about Stranger by the Lake. Mm, um, interesting. Yeah, I mean, this seems like the type of thing that Shudder might pick up and, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, the director, too, Carlotta Pareda, I would be interested in seeing. Yeah what she does next too. But yeah, I think in general, I was very, very happy with my Sundance experience and hopefully we've given uh, you all listeners uh, interesting sort of primer on these movies that will be coming out in some form or another, hopefully over the course of the year and probably mostly to one streaming service or another, as is our current marketplace. But uh, yeah, take, take of this what you will. Alrighty, I think that is our bonus episode. If you want more of This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Joe, where can the listeners find you? Uh, Twitter and Letterboxd, both uh, Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I am also on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris v. File. that's F-E-I-L. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Medias for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get those podcasts. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility, so when you finish saving the world, uh, give us that fifth star, baby. Uh, that's all for this week. We hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Bye.